So then, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, a warm welcome to all of you who may not be worshiping with us very regularly, who might be listening to the radio or, or watching our live stream. We are now working through the end of the season of Lent. And as the people of Trinity Lutheran Church, we've been taking a, a special time in Lent to challenge ourselves and push ourselves. Oftentimes in, in Lent, we give up something. But this Lent, we're challenging ourselves to add something more. And so we've been following this 40-day devotion called the Red Letter Challenge, which is challenging us to more fully live the words of Christ, which are read in many Bibles, hence the name. And really, it's, it's, been, a great, it's been a great journey, and I have seen so many fruits of the Spirit come out as we've been working through this. And we're getting close to the end of it now. Many of you will probably be finishing up next week as we get into Holy Week. Some of you are probably ahead. Some of you are probably behind. And honestly, that doesn't matter at all. What matters is that you're challenging yourself. You're pushing yourself. You're looking for those areas where, where sin has, has allowed you to get stuck. And you're trying to get yourself out of them. Or you're looking for new spiritual disciplines to add to your life. What matters is that you're challenging yourself and your faith to seize more fully who God has made you to be, to seize more fully uh, a good understanding of, who you need, uh, of how you need to be in God's word and how you need to be in worship and in prayer and in your daily life, but also to seize more fully uh, an understanding of forgiveness by beginning with the problem of sin and then seeing how God has addressed this problem of sin. But then moving into seeing how God has served us and how we are called to serve, getting more specific to see how God has given generously to us so that we can give generously as well. But in all of these things, I, I keep coming back to this one little phrase, how do you reflect God? How do you as a child of God reflect God? Because he in his love has reached out and found you. He sought you, were, you when you were lost. When you were in darkness, he brought you into his light. He brought you to the waters of holy baptism so that your old sinful self would drown and you would rise with Christ from the waters as a new child of God. But that's the key there right now is this new child of God and the life that you live how do you live it? And you live it by reflecting God, by reflecting who he has made you to be, by reflecting his forgiveness, by reflecting his service, by reflecting his generosity, and especially in this week, in reflecting how he seeks and saves the lost. We are called to partner with him in this, to join with him in this holy work to go as he has sent us to proclaim his salvation and his kingdom, to proclaim his victory over death, to proclaim the fact that he will return to take us to perfection. God has chosen to work with us and through us to do this. But really, in order to do this, we have to understand all the other things first. 
We have to know how, who God has made us to be. We have to understand forgiveness. We need to understand service and giving. We need to understand how we do all of these things. Because then what flows out of all of those things and knowing them and taking them into our hearts then flows how we go, how we are sent by God. But from all of this is this command to go. To go, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, to teach them. But the constant question is how? And there's no real answer for how. As I said this past weekend, there are businesses after business after business and ministry after ministry just trying to answer that question of how to make a disciple, how to go and baptize, how to teach what Jesus has commanded. But I think what's best for us is to look at a few keys. And as we reflected last Sunday, we looked first at Isaiah's call, that he said, here am I, send me to God. So one of the keys we need is that we need to be willing. But then we looked at the book of Acts right before Jesus ascends into heaven, and we see that Jesus gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit, that when they receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, then they will be ready to go. So we need to see our second key is that we're led in and by the Holy Spirit. The third thing is then reflecting on that command of Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all Christ has commanded us. We need to then know and understand that that is a command. It's not a polite request. That as we are commanded to not murder, we are also commanded to go and make disciples. This is the task that God has given us to live as his children. But then the one that I added on there, that I see throughout Scripture, that I've seen throughout the research and the conferences and all these things I've been to, is this key of being relational, going relationally. And as we look at Scripture, this is everywhere, especially in our Lord Jesus himself. When he goes to bring healing, he personally brings that healing. He physically touches people to heal them. To bring back people from the dead, he physically goes to them. To the woman at the well, that relationship and that conversation where he sits down with this woman and gives her a completely different kind of healing, showing her that he has the true waters of life. Think then of the 12 disciples, how Jesus sat with them, taught them, prayed with them in a very personal, one-on-one -on -one relationship sort of fashion. This was a key for Jesus. And that flowed then into the work of the disciples. Because look at how the disciples began the church. They began it by going to people one-on-one. -on -one. Yes, there were a few sermons where they stood up and gave moving speeches. But after that, on and on, it was always this one-on-one -on -one connection. I think of Paul in the Areopagus. When he goes and proclaims the true God to these people who have hundreds of statues to all these gods, he does so respectfully and relationally. I can perceive that you men of Athens have respect for the gods. You have this other god over here, the unknown god. Let me tell you who that is. He joined with them relationally in order to proclaim the gospel to them. 
The other big one I always think of is Philip and the Ethiopian, where Philip is led by the Spirit to this Ethiopian man who is in charge of quite a bit in, uh, in the Ethiopian queen's court. And he sits with him and rides with him and helps him to see how the scriptures point to Jesus. And then this man goes to be baptized. If Philip had never been there, would that man have ever been baptized? Or even more than that, one of the largest church bodies in the world is in Ethiopia. And I would wager that it's, part of it began with this one man who then brought the gospel from a relationship to more relationships in Ethiopia. But then thinking about our lives, what has God been at what has God been doing? How is God at work in our lives? Because if we're going to connect relationally, we really have to get first a grasp on this. And really the the easy answer is just to say, well, Jesus is my Savior. He died and rose for me. I was baptized as a baby, and I've lived my entire life in the church. That's not it, though. That's very true, but there's so much more to it than that. There's so many other places where God has been at work with you, for you, through you. There's been so many steps that you have taken, even seemingly meaningless encounters at the grocery store where God has worked through you. I think that we don't really like this idea of testifying or giving a testimony. I think there's many reasons. I think fear is, is always going to be a big one. We're afraid that we're, we'll look like one of those Christians. I don't, wanna, I don't want somebody to think I'm weird. I don't want somebody to think I'm some crazy Christian. I'm afraid that my story isn't even that good. That, yeah, I have just been in the church my entire life. I'm afraid that I don't have a story to tell. I'm afraid that there's nothing unique or special about my story. I'm afraid no one's going to care. But I will tell you that your testimony, how you share how God has been at work in your life, how God has either called you to the waters of baptism and then grew you to be his child, or how God was with you ever since you were baptized just a couple weeks after your birth. That story is one of the most powerful tools you have in reaching the lost with the gospel. And do you know why that is? It's because there's something about being a person that's inside of everybody. We love stories about people. Why do you think the movie industry is so huge. We love stories about people. Think about, think about the most popular books or the most famous books, how they walk with people. People don't read the encyclopedia for fun. It's just facts. People love reading uh, like Lord of the Rings to see how Tolkien creates these awesome characters and how these characters interact with one another and how you can place yourself in their shoes, I guess if it's a hobbit, in their dirty feet. But we love these stories. Think about music. What are some of the best songs out there? But they're not, not maybe even the best songs, but the most famous songs are love songs. Because it's this relationship that we love to hear about, that we can identify with. We love this stuff. We love being able to identify with other people. What I want you to understand about your testimony is that it's a story just like that. 
Think of it like a movie. Some of us might be blockbusters, right? Some people's stories might be just as wild of a ride as an Indiana Jones movie. But some of us are simple stories. Stories that are simple and honest like Casablanca. There's not a lot of action, but good conversations. You can see the emotion in the people. And just because a story is different from another doesn't mean that one is better than another. So how do you tell your story? Where do you even begin? In the Red Letter Challenge, they encourage you to write down your story and then record it and upload it somewhere. I'm, I'm not going to stop you from doing that, but I'm not going to encourage you to do that either. I think that recording our story kind of makes it less unique and makes it less personal. Our stories that we share need to be face-to-face conversations. But writing down the story, that's a key. You have to know where you started. And you start with what you remember. For me, I remember walking down my long driveway in Idaho when I was a kid, walking to get the mail around Christmas time. And I remember that for some weird reason I was praying. I, I didn't have faith that I was really aware of. But for some reason, I prayed. And I specifically prayed for video games. And I specifically prayed for a Sega Game Gear which was a handheld system that was about this big with a screen about that big that ate up six AA batteries in like two hours, but it was the coolest thing in the world because you could have these awesome games away from the TV. I no longer had to take the TV away from my parents to play games. I could just go and play that. And on Christmas, I got one. And while that might seem silly, that made me realize that somebody was listening. And then I remember my sister and I asking our parents to take us to church. And after going for a while, the pastor encouraged us to start receiving communion. And after we started going through first communion classes at this church, we realized we weren't baptized. And then we got baptized. And I remember my baptism, not because of some great change that happened in me, but because the water was freezing. And then I remember for many years how I wandered, how I really had no firm foundation in my faith. I was curious about other religions. I was especially curious about the Orthodox Church and Greek Orthodoxy and how they did everything. But as I wandered, I also made all these plans for my life and what I was going to do. And all of those plans fell apart. And I lost my future. Because everything I had set up after college... I had it all mapped out, and it all fell apart. And I remember sharing my lost future with some friends from college who were going to the seminary. We were sitting and talking about things and sharing a beer with each other. That actually is the apartment where it was. And we sat and talked, and they said, what have you got to lose? Just try the seminary. And I went, and I applied. And in applying, I had to be approved by my district president, who just so happened to be on campus and had some free time to meet with me. I remember getting the, the approval letter the, that I have been accepted to the seminary, and I remember moving in and getting a job. I remember all the classes, the field work, everything. I remember finally belonging somewhere. 
I remember finally having a direction and purpose in my life. You see, for me, when I had lost my future, I, I didn't know what to do. I had been in control of my life, as so as I thought. But I learned about who God is and how he's in control. That there was this faith that grew and grew and grew through every step of this journey. Those memories that I have are very precious to me. They might not seem like any significant story, but they're my walk of faith. They're my walk of faith that also took me to Baltimore to learn about people, that people, whether they're in the worst parts of life and drug addiction and homelessness or people who are living in billion-dollar mansions, that they're all the same. They're all struggling with sin. They all have their own addiction. They all struggle with their own lives and their families. God was leading me. God led me to Faribault, Minnesota. A kid who never wanted to go anywhere near Minnesota has now found a place where he can call home. That these stories are very precious and important to me. Because when I share them, I reflect personally on how God has been at work in my life. But then, again, stories. You start to identify with me. You're, you might not have been so foolish as a kid getting out of college to put all of his eggs in one basket and then everything just fell apart, but you've experienced loss. You've experienced trying to be in control of your life and losing control. You can see that while my story is unique to me, you can still identify with me. These stories and these memories, these, this is a testimony I'm not getting up and, and, well, I guess technically I am getting up in front of the church and doing this. But it's not like every person has to do this in order to be saved or anything like that. This is just another tool for us to communicate personally and relationally how God is at work in our lives. So now your challenge is to reflect on this question. What is your story? Sit down. Sit down and think it through and write it out. Take time with it. Build off of those memories you have. And then share it. Share it with people. Share how God has been at work in your life because your kids need to hear it. Your parents need to hear it. Your neighbor needs to hear it. Your grandkids need to hear it. People need to see how God has been at work in your life because they will start thinking about how God is at work in their lives. And they will see how ever since the first day of their lives, the first second of their lives, the Holy Spirit has been calling them to a new life found in Christ alone. And by sharing your story, your testimony, you can help lead people to realize that. We look for all of these tools for mission work. For all of these individual things, the right questions to ask, the right program to follow. But I'll tell you that better than any of those is having a story to tell. Especially a story about a God who has saved you personally. Who has walked with you personally every day of your life. Amen, brothers and sisters.